Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello, my name is Luke Manning and you are listening to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM on your dial, app or digitally. Welcome to our first show of the year. Brainwaves is a mental health focused show with a lived experience lens. We speak to people living with and caring for those with mental illnesses and everyone in between. And it's my pleasure to introduce my guest for today, Michelle Irving. Michelle is a pioneer in the chronic illness space. She is known to those of us in the chronic illness or spoonie community as the queen of the underworld. She mentors women around the world, teaching them how to create a life filled with love, meaningful work and deep personal power. She believes we can all have a positive relationship with ourselves, even in the midst of experiencing illness. And Michelle really gets it. While bedbound twice in the past decade, she mastered the art of living well while experiencing serious illness. She is driven by a mission to de-shame and transform conversations around illness. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Flick. It's great to be here with you. It's a pleasure. And I know for those listening, we have a we have a very familiar flow of conversation because we know each other so intently from this world. So it is such a thrill to have you here. And I have loads of questions for you and I'll probably run out of time. So let's dive right in. Michelle, how has mental health impacted your quality of life with a chronic condition? So I think for me, one of the things about navigating chronic illness is it takes extraordinary mental tenacity. And the experience of feeling like being unwell is not acceptable or that uh, it's hard to explain an invisible illness and really navigating a lot of medical tests and appointments, all of that actually impacts the mental well-being for me. And I've had to work out how to hold myself as deeply mentally as I've had to work out how to take care of myself physically. So for me, mental health and well-being is actually critical to managing chronic illness. And it's often the experience of chronic illness that deeply impacts the mental well-being. Thank you for sharing that point of view. Now, what discrimination, if any, have you faced because of your chronic condition and then how has that affected your mental health? So I think the biggest issue for me is trying to navigate working with chronic illness and for those of us living with invisible conditions, particularly um, that people can't see. So I can be at the office and I'll have vertigo and I actually need to go home and lie down because it's the only way to reset my system but that's not visible to everybody. So some of the key things I've had to work out is how to manage other people's expectations, 
how to have great professional boundaries as well as personal boundaries with friends and family socially. And that has been essential for maintaining as much mental capacity and well-being as I can because I need that mental energy to help me move gently through the day and optimally for me to create a life that really works for me and my body. It does require a serious amount of energy and resources for the brain to just manage the body. So when you've all got all these extra considerations on top, that's another drain of your essential resources. Can you take us through, you know, perhaps one circumstance that comes up in terms of the workplace where you've had to do exactly what you're talking about and what that kind of conversation sounded like? Yeah, I'd be really happy to because I've had to work out how to do it in a way that doesn't drain that energy, but also that emotionally feels good. And this is the other piece of the pie is that our mental well-being affects our emotional well-being and our emotional well-being affects our mental well-being. So an example for me is I had been bedbound for a long period of time. I was returning to work. I was returning to work part-time. Now, officers love to know when you will be back to, you know, full hours, when that will be, how that will be. They want all the details. And when you're living with any type of recovery and managing chronic illness, you don't know the answers to that and nobody would like to know more than you. And so often what we do is we um, shrink, our energy starts to shrink and withdraw. We apologize a lot for how we feel and we try and promise and often over-promise capacity and then push ourselves. And when we do that, that's exhausting, not just physically, but the mental stress and the emotional stress is high. So when the HR department sent me a spreadsheet, I was back at work five hours a week spread over three days. That was really the medical capacity that I had and that was all worked with my doctor. And I did fully recover back to three full days. But what HR did was send me a spreadsheet and ask me over the next three months, what will be your days and what will be your hours? That was incredibly mentally stressful, not only to even look at the spreadsheet and try and work out how to answer it, but I really felt that put me in a position where I was emotionally felt like nobody understood and I had to respond to the authority. So what I did instead was phone HR and said, you've sent me a spreadsheet. That's more than actually I can handle and manage at this point in time. And I feel like you're asking me when I will be well. And the advice that I provided from my practitioner and specialist, you haven't taken that into account in sending me the spreadsheet. And you can hear in my voice that I was actually really factual and very clean with them. And that was my focus, was to actually turn the situation around and put that back on HR and their process and highlight that I was following medical advice. Now, it wasn't necessarily emotionally comfortable for me to do that, but it absolutely worked because then I never got another spreadsheet in the meetings. I was always very clear that nobody was more keen than me to know when that would be and that I was always following medical advice. And that stopped all my apologising and reduced my stress 
in comparison to what it would have been if I'd followed their process. That's absolutely brilliant advice. And I think, again, anyone listening who is going through this exact same thing, and there are a lot of people now, especially with long COVID and all sorts of things that people are dealing with for the first time, they're trying to navigate this world, particularly in workplaces and how to have that conversation. And also thank you for sharing. That's wonderful. Now, we have actually just come through the holiday period And I know in leading up to this interview, we'd had a discussion about what that holiday period is like for so many people with chronic illnesses and disabilities. It can be a real time of loneliness and struggle for many of those people. What have you learned about how to manage that process, that whole holiday process as somebody with a chronic condition and even maybe now just coming out of the holidays and kickstarting that new year with all that pressure to make their year awesome and epic and huge and all of those things? So with the holidays, what happens is it's a very intense time where everybody's anxiety and mental, like there's a lot of stress that rises. And so there can be a lot of pressure just in normal society for everybody to be at Christmas. For me, I always start with my baseline of what is it I can do. I don't think about what everybody's expectation is. I don't work out what would please everybody and make it more comfortable emotionally for them. I start with my baseline of what is easy for me. And often in these circumstances, we don't ever think what's easy. We start to think, I can't do, I can't do, I can't do. And that layers the pressure up in your psychology and mental well-being. Whereas when we shift to what is easy, then there's a relaxation, there's a playfulness. Of course, particularly for those in the community now coming in with long COVID, this might be the very first time you're facing a new year and you're feeling you have less capacity than you had previously. And there is a grief process around that. And what we want to do is shift that process for you internally into what do I have capacity to do and move our energy into that. Because when I do that, I'm naturally going to de-stress. And when there's less stress, I have more capacity. So that's how I approach the year. And I understand that my people are not the people who are running 24-7 at the office, climbing the ladder to the top and are doing, you know, caring, parenting, career at the absolute optimum level. All of those people we know are also going to face significant mental health and burnout considerations because the societal pressure is ridiculous. But my cohort, my peers, are the intelligent, savvy, creative people who happen to be living with chronic illness and we need to work out how to do this in the most creatively easy way. Look, I'd just love to give you five gold stars for that answer, Michelle. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Michelle, for that. We were just discussing loneliness, actually, in regards to the holiday period, the stresses that go along with so many things for those with chronic illnesses and disabilities. And there's also a sense of isolation that often occurs as well. But it would be remiss to say that this doesn't just occur at the holiday time. This can happen throughout the year for people with chronic illnesses. Michelle, why do you think that is? And how do you see the effect of that isolation and disconnection playing out in people's mental well-being throughout the year? 
So I think why we have a sense of isolation is actually very simple. We have a story of illness that is all about if you are unwell, life is over, nothing is possible until you're well. When you have some sort of, you know, flu or whatever, we're normally used to, okay, that takes about three weeks and then we go on. The issue is when we're talking about a chronic condition, there isn't that great peak of wellness. There are absolutely periods of well and periods of less well. But the story of you can only live and flourish when you are returned to 100% health is what creates the stress. It's what creates the isolation. It's what creates the loneliness because we all do it. We cocoon up and think, well, I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm not light and I'm not cheery or I'm not, I don't have a hundred percent capacity. So I'll just wait until I feel better. And in a thousand ways, that is the isolating mechanism that we've been taught by culture. And what we need to do is be in that community of the vibrant, intelligent, creative people who are all living with chronic illness and understand that there's a new rhythm that we can find. And that rhythm isn't about perfect health because the truth is everybody's health is going to have a decline over the period of their lifetime in terms of physical capacity. That's just biology. So all we are doing is getting all the tips and skills about how to do that in a great way, sometimes a little earlier than others. As I say often to people, it's like we're watching life happen in real time uh, as opposed to it happening in this sort of slow and more traditional spectrum. Now, we often also talk about the importance of support for mental well-being. What kind of support is best to be offered to somebody who is chronically sick or disabled that's also experiencing those mental or emotional well-being side effects? So I, for me, think there's sort of four emotional stages of chronic illness. There's you're looking for a diagnosis. And so you want in that experience, that feeling of being mentally and emotionally at sea and not knowing what is happening the absolute hundred best support for that process is, yes, the practical support, rostering people to do groceries, you know, somebody that brings the water and that on your bedside table and all the practical things of daily life. The hundred percent emotional and mental support in that moment really came to me with a girlfriend and she said to me, darling, I don't know what this experience is going to hold for you, but I am 100% with you through this experience. And what that did was there was no offers about try this, try that. There was no jollying up that sort of felt out of alignment with my actual experience. But your capacity to sit with somebody, hold their hand, be present with them, let the emotions flow, and also hold that there will be shift and change and that you are present for that process, that is what helps emotionally and mentally. And that's very different from the support, say, when you've got a treatment plan and you've got a bit more physical capacity or when you're starting to have real capacity and returning to work, 
That support is about listening to the experience of trying to navigate work. Again, some practical strategy, maybe advice and support, but really listening to the experience and thinking, how would I negotiate this without apologizing? Yes, exactly. We are drawn in society to fix things. This idea, again, that comes with that narrative of well-being, that you're only capable when you're at full capacity. So everyone around you wants to fix everything all the time. What's the one thing that I can do as a support person that's going to change this entire situation for you? And in reality, with a chronic condition or a disability, there probably isn't going to be that one thing that someone can can do for you that's going to change the game, but they need to be simply there for you in your experience of it without them passing on their own preconceived notions about what that should look like, feel like, and sound like. And I think that's a huge practice for everyone that's involved and a beautiful undertaking for the person who is learning how to support in that way, just in the same way it is for the person receiving that support. We've been talking a lot about loneliness, isolation, all sorts of things that go alongside the experience of chronic illness and disability. So I've got a couple more questions for you, Michelle, before we wrap up the show. How would you advise people to approach mental health discussions with someone who also has a chronic condition or disability? I think this is such an important question, Flick, and thank you so much for asking it. Because what happens is, because we've talked about this story of illness, is that we want to jolly people up and get them well. Now, we understand and we're growing to understand that in chronic mental health conditions, we don't jolly the person up out of depression. And yet that still hasn't crossed over into that understanding. It's not that everybody with chronic illness has depression or even significant anxiety, but jollying, trying to move people into getting well in a way that doesn't actually respect their experience that can produce the very anxiety that you're trying to, in many ways, cover over. So in terms of having the conversation, I think what's important is that presence and being with somebody and letting them share their experience. And it's very uncomfortable to hear somebody share, I'm bed bound, I can't get up and get my food, I'm distressed because I don't know how this is going to work out both physically, mentally, work-wise and financially. That's an uncomfortable conversation to be present to. And it's often like it's a life experience that most people will have in terms of whether you have a chronic condition and you're the one in four people living in Australia who have it or you're the person who's going through divorce, or you're the person who's going through redundancy. We're used to knowing not to push people in those experiences, and it's the same. The presence of being with the person and saying, I am here for you with this experience. If there is something that you think would help, I'm very happy to do it. I'm also happy to support you if it's about finding somebody who's a specialist in this chronic illness, emotional, mental capacity experience. And there's a lot of going into psychotherapy. And if you're with a therapist who's just diving down into your um, childhood and process and trying to get you to process your past experiences with family in order to get you over the experience of chronic illness, 
I would say to you, that's not necessarily the right room for you. You want to be with somebody who understands the chronic illness mental well-being journey. And this is something you and I, Flick, you know, we talk about publicly, we know very well, and there are people out there who specialise in this process and it's a different mental experience than a lot of the other life transitions. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's one of those things, once you've experienced it yourself, you know that there is a stark difference between uh, the realities that you once lived before, the experiences of emotion and how you navigate the world versus what you do when you have a chronic illness or a disability. So again, thank you. That's very poignant uh, advice that you've given there. So just to wrap up, Michelle, because we have just rapidly burned through our time together because we've got so much to chat about. What is just one last little piece of advice, I guess, that you could give somebody who is living with a chronic condition or a disability about just how they can find themselves in that identity with a sense of being gentle and being kind to themselves? So the number one thing I want you to know if this is speaking to you is where you are now is not the end of your story. And most of us, because of this terrible cultural story about chronic illness, it's like, well, this is the end, this is the end until I can work it out. And it's absolutely not true. I've worked with hundreds of people in this experience. Shift is mentally and emotionally, shift is absolutely possible regardless of even the physical experience. And this is something you and I both have thrived in, Flick, and we know. And so that's the number one thing I would say to you where you are now is absolutely not the end of your story. Couldn't have said it better myself, Michelle. Absolutely fantastic. Now, if you are listening at home and this is ringing some bells for you, if you know someone that is living with a chronic condition or disability or that is you yourself and you want to learn from Michelle and her team directly, they are running their seven-week emotional empowerment course beginning on the 23rd of January, so coming right up. They will teach you the four emotional stages of chronic illness and the practical tools for each stage supporting your confidence, autonomy and thriving. So you can head to michelleirving.com.au. You'll also find her on Instagram and we will have all of those links up on our podcast page after the fact if you would like to get in touch. And I do encourage you to do so. It's a really important step for your journey to make sure that you feel like you, the new you, the special empowered you as you move forward. So Michelle, again, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much me having for having me, Flick. It's been an absolute joy to be with you. Now, everyone at home, as we round out the show today, I'd like to thank you for tuning in as we start 2023 with you. It's going to be an amazing year of radio, and I can't wait to share all the powerful stories that we have on this show. Please do remember that mental health is of equal importance to your physical and emotional health. So if you haven't yet connected them all together today, please take a moment to take a deep inhale and a lovely deep exhale and honour that beautiful, hardworking brain and body of yours and be as kind to yourself as you are to others around you. We'll be back same time, same place next week, or you can catch this show as a replay online. And I look forward to chatting with you next time on Brainwaves. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline 
Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.